Everyone knows a person who likes to talk tough but can't back it up. But what happens when that person is the biggest wrestling star on TV? Today, it's Shawn Michaels versus The Army. Crazy territory stories, double crosses and swerves. Pro wrestling history nerds. You did it, you managed it, you hit the button, and now you're here, you're here with us. Who is us? What are we doing? My name is Nick Gossert. I am a wrestling promoter. I am a booker. I am a writer. I am a storyteller. And storytelling is what we're all about today because I am also a wrestling history nerd, a pro wrestling history nerd, and I am here with the general versus to my Dr. Zayas, it's Chago Bronson. How the hell are you today? Yes, the spice must flow, and so must the TARDIS in the pro wrestling history nerd time machine back once again to our prepubescent era. A personal story for me, man. And we are not going back as far as we normally do. We've taken a little jaunt into the uh, not not quite current times. We're still a few decades back because last time, last uh, episode, we talked about the trial of Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, a story where a man didn't want to fight, didn't fight, but still ended up on trial and paying the price for it. And now we're going to swing to the other side of things because, as I said last time, there are people who are the strong, silent type, the stoic men who never really uh, start any trouble because they know they are trouble. The men who never start trouble because they can fight like motherfuckers. And then on the opposite side of things, we have those guys that run their goddamn mouths and never, ever back it up. And in the middle, you find men like us. Yeah, and I definitely, I'm going to... I'm going to say that I, the only reason I'm in the middle is because I will fight. And I know how to fight, and I will not, it's not that I won't fight because I know how to fight. I will fight, and I know how to fight, and I will kick the shit out of somebody. And that's why I have the travel restrictions I do, old chap. But Chongo digresses. And I will run my mouth all day long because... I don't know what part of my brain is damaged from too many punches to the noggin, but I will firmly believe that I am Groucho Marx running my mouth without uh, restriction, without regulation, without consequences. You're the kind of guy that if he talks some shit, he's going to back it up, and if somebody puts a fist in your mouth for it, it's not going to close it. You know what I mean? And win, lose, or draw, you're going you're gonna to stand by with the courage of your conviction. And today, we're talking about someone who doesn't really do the same in Chongo's book. Absolutely, because there, everybody has that friend. Everybody knows that guy. Everybody has had to deal with that asshole. The guy who will run his mouth because he has never had to face the consequences or never learns the lesson when facing those consequences. The guy who, no matter what, will get drunk, will get mouthy, will start a lot of problems, even though he has never won a fight in his goddamn life, even though his friends are exhausted of having to back him up in situations they did not want to be in. We tend to gravitate towards stories of tough guys on this podcast because back in the early days of wrestling, you had to be a legitimate tough guy. You had to be somebody who could show wrestle and real wrestle. You had to be a guy who could pop the crowd and also pop somebody in the mouth at a bar fight if somebody challenged the concept of wrestling. You had to beat the townies and uh, you know and win their hearts when it came time for uh, the, the the main event, but. Now we kind of live in a day of show wrestling. We still gravitate towards tough guys because we have, you know, the the, the jiu-jitsu and the boxing backgrounds. We're we're MMA nerds as well. But mostly today, everyone is a show wrestler. And I want to preface this by saying there is nothing wrong with that. Showbiz wrestling is razzle-dazzle as it gets. It is Jackie Chan kung fu flippiness. Totally. Uh, Even guys who will put on that more ground-based stuff. I don't really care if they can win a fight in real life so long as they entertain me and put on a fantastic wrestling match. Yeah, it's it's theatrical application of a combative skill set versus a competitive or combative application of the same skill set. But as a as a martial artist, keep you know emphasize the word artist. There's a lot more of a artistic merit, I think, in my own opinion, and challenge to putting to your 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 art on display in a theatrical match as opposed to a competitive match. And there's something to be said for, you know, that you don't have to be a tough guy. 
you to be a martial artist and you don't have to be a tough guy to be a great worker and a great performer but it really sucks if you're not a tough guy and you run your fucking mouth and show wrestling i mean the guys who can work or entertain or make a crowd love them through a pure charisma that's existed all the way back to the days of Big Wayne Munn, as we've recounted that one in a previous totally. episode, and there's nothing wrong with being a showbiz phony, if you will, so long as you are self-aware enough to stay in your lane, but unfortunately, the subject of our story tonight, one Mr. Shawn Michaels, who was absolutely not self-aware to keep himself out of danger. This is a man who, back in the Attitude Era, back in the, the heyday of, uh, of 90s wrestling, was a notorious, mouthy, womanizing, shit show of a person, and he was not a great fighter by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I don't think Shawn Michaels really... I'll put it like this, and maybe this this is going to get me some heat if this ever got back to him or whatever. I would say Shawn Michaels is patient zero for what has evolved in the pro wrestling business. All of the toxic, negative stuff that came through that branch, the click, all of the backstage stuff, the, the, the unseen ripple effect, right, of all that stuff. He indoctrinated a whole generation of young wrestlers that locker room politics were more important than, you know, creative and all of these other things that, that became things that were just now getting the tide back going the other way in the business. And, uh, you know, maybe that's too big of a thing to bring up on this, but, man, I just feel like this, this one situation that we're going to dissect right now, the reason I bring that up is because on the macro, this is a perfect microcosm of what he embodied and what he did and i think if he's honest with himself he's you know supposedly reborn or whatever if that's true and he's truly self-aware now and he's truly honest about what he did i think he would probably agree with that statement that he created so much toxic culture in what we have in pro wrestling today and really i uh, i despise a lot of this shit because he was the embodiment of Vince McMahon's dream at that time, which was the fusion of rock and roll and pro wrestling, the rock and wrestle connection. He is a man who lived and presented himself as a rock star in wrestling. He had charisma through the roof. He knew how to work a crowd into a frenzy without doing a single wrestling move, but he was athletic as all get out. He could, he could do so much amazing stuff in the ring. He he had a great mind for wrestling, a great body for wrestling. He had the total package to be a wrestling star, but backstage and in real life, he also was doing the rock and roll gimmick of too much drugs, too much booze, feeling entitled to everybody else's girlfriend, but he did have a number of very large friends like Kevin Nash, uh, like Scott Hall, like Triple H. The click could be a five episode thing unto itself, but we're gonna kind of breeze over that. Pretty much needless to say, there was a group of men in the WWF in the mid 90s who essentially ran the show backstage. They knew how to politic for everything they wanted, and they knew how to punish anyone who crossed them or just got on their bad side. But here's the thing. If you're the type of guy who goes out, gets wasted, runs his mouth, and hits on the wrong girl, someone is eventually going to hand, your, hand you your ass for mouthing off, and no matter how big a star you are, eventually you're going to be caught without your big friends there to protect you. Yeah, and you'd think you'd have the self-awareness, a true, real-life, chicken-shit-heel asshole that's going to talk that shit and back up when he's confronted with the, you know face to face with the consequences of the shit he's been talking uh he's hitting on somebody's woman because he thinks he's a beyond reproach and like his whole gimmick and the whole thing like you said vince mcmahon wanted rock and wrestling he wanted to have this like temper tantrum rock star you know man child crybaby motherfucker to just he wanted to live that element and he had enough control in his environment where in his ecosystem he could have this little crybaby rock star throw tantrums and and politic and change stuff and that he got off on that or whatever i don't know man but it was it's crazy to me how disproportionately 
like like the pass that Shawn Michaels got for shit like this. Because today you'd be done, bro. Yeah, with the internet, the uh, you know, with Twitter, with people who would have probably videotaped a situation. Yeah, it's a lot harder to be a total piece of shit in this era. But back then, there is no denying that Shawn Michaels was the biggest or one of the biggest stars in professional wrestling in the world. And when you are at the top of your game, a lot of people pretend not to see things. It makes me think of uh, a story a reporter said, uh, told about being on the uh, being on a train and Babe Ruth, drunk as shit, ran past naked. And somebody said to the reporter, Jesus Christ, did you see that? And he said, no, I didn't see that because if I saw it, I'd have to report it. A lot of blind eye turning in a day when you could turn a blind eye to things. And this was a point where things uh, got a little out of hand, a little bit out of universe, if you will, because our story begins on October 13th, 1995, when Shawn Michaels made the drive from uh, Binghamton to Syracuse, both cities in New York, with Sean Waltman and Davey Boy Smith. Um, Michaels, babysitter slash bodyguards, Kevin Nash and uh, Scott Hall, they were part of a European tour at the time, so they were not there to keep him in line or protect him from his own bullshit. That's a heck of a way to set the stage, if you ask me. Yeah, first of all, what, what, are, we, what are we doing here? Who booked this shit? Because Razor and Diesel are about to leave for WCW. Shawn Michaels, and you're, you're leaving the British Bulldog off of the European tour? Preposterous, I say. The wrestlers arrived in Syracuse and checked into their hotel after midnight, and some fans saw them and offered to take them out to party, so off they went Tight. to Club 37 because these boys, they did a big show, they drove, like I think it was like 70 miles, they're ready to have a little bit of a, a, bit, bit of a party before they uh, called in the morning. Hell yeah, nothing wrong with that. So they get there, they start pounding booze, because they only had an hour or so to go before the place closed, and were reportedly popping somas to go along with the drinks. So Shawn Michaels was immediately just shit hammered out of the gate, and started hunting for a starstruck lady to take back to his hotel. And he made his move on a pretty girl he saw on the dance floor. And he made sure everyone knew how famous he was like a real asshole. Oh, I bet he did, because he is totally that guy that, you know, he embodies, like, like, and maybe this is me making it a personal thing, because, like, the generation of workers that I've worked with that, like, got into the business because they idolized that guy, and maybe this is not fair to be an indictment on him, but they're some of the absolute worst people that I've ever met. The most insecure, backstabbing. They got into this business because they wanted to be like Shawn Michaels and be this backstage politic rock star Gestapo person that just would cru crucify your career if you crossed him and just be this fucking raging bitch, basically. And, you know, it's, it's really a shitty thing because here he is, he's this fucking star. He's one of the greatest performers, like like objectively, he's one of the greatest in-ring performers of any era. And he has to basically do the pickup line equivalent of, do you know who I am? Oh, he embodies, do you know who I am? Yeah, that, what a dick. Also at the club, our camera pans across the room like in a uh, Scorsese film. And we see that also at the club, was 23-year-old Corporal Douglas Griffith from the 10th Mountain Division, who was stationed at nearby Fort Drum. He and some of his pals had a pass and were having a great night out. Griffith, who used to date the girl that Michaels was after, didn't like what he saw. He didn't like the attention the wrestlers were getting in general, and he really didn't like Michaels hitting on his ex. He was jealous, so he got up and told Michaels that he and the girl were an item and that he should back off. Yes, it's a shitty move. Yes, it wasn't true. Yes, it was done out of jealousy, but that's life sometimes. See, what you have on your hands now is you have what we call the Karate Kid situation. You now have the jealous ex who's like the badass coming in and stepping in because, you know, you're, you're in his eyes, you're stepping to his girl that maybe he's still tr not over, trying to get back or whatever. And, you know, if she's starstruck, you know, Shawn Michaels probably going to, you know, take that back to the hotel or whatever. And he, he wasn't trying to have any of it. And that's, I mean, it's small dick energy to be sure, but it is an absolutely reasonable situation to find yourself in. And Shawn Michaels needs to realize that if you step to a bad motherfucker's lady, 
or the lady that he, you know, this kind of situation is, is not going to end well if you are a, a shit-talking little bitch. There are no good guys in this story. This is a, a heel versus heel situation. There is nobody <laughs> yeah. in this story that is wholesome, that is good, but that is life. And yes, I, I will admit that I have occasionally, not quite so thoroughly, uh, cock-blocked dudes that were interested in an ex or a girl I was interested in. Again, this is not proper behavior. It's not morally justifiable behavior, but it's just something you see in life and you deal with in life. And Michaels, he didn't give a shit. He got mouthy. He ignored him. And he was fucked up so bad that he was slurring his speech at this point. And he just kept getting mouthy with the soldier and kept pursuing the girl, asking her to come back to his hotel room because nothing sexier than a dude being like, yeah, I'll come back to my way. I totally put my finger in you. <laughs> yeah, that's hot. You know. But he is a big star. He was still getting a lot of passes for his behavior. The bouncer, however, saw the situation brewing and had a sense that only being a bouncer in blue-collar New York bars will instill in you. And he wanted to get the wrestlers out before any sort of shit went down. But unfortunately, it was 2 a.m. and everyone was going to have to leave at the same yeah. time. So it's kind of hard to be like, hey, you stand outside while I get you boys a cab when everybody's pouring out at the same time. That's why in any downtown, any bar-centric area in any city, coast to coast, that's when there's always fights, usually for no good goddamn reason. Because when you unleash a sea of drunken, horny, angry people into the streets together there's going to be conflict. That's what happens, man. It's called the Bar 30 Witching Hour, and all of the streets are flooded because everyone is kicked out of the bars at the same time, right? Because it's the last call at the same time. And we're talking about last call behavior right now, and Shawn Michaels is acting like a dick, and this guy's acting like a dick, pulling, you know, some, you know, Captain Save-A-Ho shit, trying to claim his ex-lady. You know, and I, here's my issue with that. It's like... Like, how, how rude to not assume that she has the agency to make the choice for herself. If she wants to go get some sloppy Soma dick from Shawn Michaels, that's go, go get it, girl. Go, go live your rock star moment. But don't let it, you know. I mean, these things happen. This is, this is scumball behavior, but I'm really excited because finally Shawn Michaels is in a situation where the person he's talking to doesn't have a paycheck that they're about to lose if they tell him and make him see what they really think about him. And that bouncer we were talking about, he tried to arrange something where it was a woman named Donna who was friends with the girl that Shawn Michaels was after. She offered to drive the wrestlers back to their hotel to avoid any confrontations while waiting for cabs outside. And everybody more or less had to carry a pretty much passed out Shawn Michaels to the car. And once they were getting in the car, Corporal Griffith and a few other soldiers approached from the building and yelled at the driver, uh, she would, like I said, she was friends with Griffith and knew Michaels, but he yelled, what are you hanging out with these loser wrestlers for? They are all a bunch of fakes. And Davy Boy Smith got, who, <laughs> he got pissed enough that he threw a drunken punch from the middle of the back seat, which was still enough to knock Griffith back. Shawn Michaels, barely conscious <laughs> already, got half out of the car and threw what I assume was the worst punch possible. Griffith pulled Michael out of the car completely, who immediately fell to his knees. Griffith slammed Shawn Michaels' head in the car door. He collapsed, oh. and Griffith kicked him in the head several times with the steel-toed army boots he was wearing. Oh, that, oh that's beyond an ass-whooping, and that's, that's really unfortunate that it got taken that far because, you know, a fight is no longer a fight when a person can no longer intelligently defend themselves. At that point, it becomes assault, and with steel-toed boot, that's assault with a deadly weapon. So, oh yeah, I mean this so is that—that's beyond. Re you know, you, you, you beat a guy. You know, you knock a guy out or whatever. You beat a guy up in a fist, fair fist fight. Okay, but you're stomping a guy's head on the ground when he's with steel toes. That's. That's, you know, that's not fair. That's bad form. Man. Yeah, this is where it kind of turns almost into the sort of beating you see in a mob movie where somebody hasn't, uh, you know, paid so-and-so uh, and has been ducking them. This is sending a message level violence. This is not 
you know, a, a, a square up fight. This is just yeah, this a, is bad. This is this is a bad situation. Although, can I just can I just say real quick the visual of Davy Boy Smith in the back seat? First of all, alone, that situation is hilarious. I'm sure he like he's stuck and he's like, but still, you can like punch and probably knock. He hit the guy better from being stuck in the back seat than Sean. I mean, and second, why didn't Shawn Michaels throw the sweet chin music, man? <laughs> And as this beating was happening, uh, Waltman and Smith were trying to get out of the car, but they were in the back seat of a two-door and drunk as shit. The other soldiers were holding the door shut while Griffith worked over Michaels. Waltman got out first and he got free, and in his dumb drunk high brain, he thought this was a good idea. He threw some embarrassing drunk work karate style kicks that made him fall down and never really managed to get back yes. to his feet. Smith, Smith did a little better. He got out and managed to pull Griffith off of Michaels, but the other two soldiers got hold of him and pulled him back and restrained him, uh, hitting him in the head pretty hard and giving him some, uh, some injuries to take home as well. And the woman who is going to drive them to the hotel, she ran in and told the bouncer. So two doormen ran out throwing punches and scattered the whole situation. So it's just violence and madness in the parking lot of a of a bar in Syracuse, which I kind of feel like is average Friday night behavior. The difference is we now have three TV star wrestlers involved in the fracas. Yeah, and I feel like in the moment, the guys, like, the, the you know, first of all, they, they functioned as a team in the fight. I love, I don't love it, but I think it's cool that they, like, strategically held the door in so that he could wear, I'm sure that probably wasn't even talked about very much, it just happened. And then, also, like, I can totally envision <laughs> X-Pac throwing the cake and just busting his ass, and then probably, he laid there, he's like, man, if I just sell this, maybe I won't get my ass whooped. <laughs> <laughs> and then Davey Boy, they're grabbing. They're like, fuck, dude, that's a British Bulldog. They're like, sir, we're sorry. Please don't make us do this. Please come this way, sir. Don't give it, you know. It, I, that, what an amazing visual. Can you imagine if that happened in the day of World Star? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, this would have been, like, Twitter viral like a motherfucker. Like, oh this would have God. been so much worse than just, uh, you know, newspaper reports at the time. And, you know, in the in the chaos of all this, to make sure that more violence didn't happen, they sent Shawn Michaels and his uh, pals to the hotel and then called an ambulance to meet them there just because they didn't want them waiting around and round two of the fight to break out because we've all been around that drunk dude who gets his ass kicked and then goes... You ready for round two, bitch? Yeah, that's, you know, at that point, get them out of there, right? And they, frankly, they should have had an exit strategy. I mean, you guys are on the road. I mean, Syracuse is pretty much a home game for them, but if you guys, these are seasoned road warriors, you know what I'm saying? Doing the drives, all that shit. They live on the road to imagine that they didn't have a better exit strategy if shit got hot is just kind of surprising to me, especially when, well, I'm not going to put Davey Boy in that box, but really, those other two cats really are not about that life. Well, I won't say that about Sean Whiteman either, but Sean Michaels kind of a bitch. I feel like I feel like those other two cats would handle their business like, man, Sean Michaels is the one that would get him in the fight like you talked about, and you got to know if you're going out with HBK and you don't got a seven-footer with it, you probably got to have the taxi on standby. Yeah, and I do give everybody the benefit of the doubt uh, on the, because, you know, well, not everybody. Um, I do give, like, Davy Boy a bit of the benefit of the doubt because they they were shit hammered. You know, even if you're a great fighter uh, and if you're like near blackout state, yeah. you are a shadow of yourself. Totally. You know, you're, you're you're not really thinking like, oh, if shit goes down, you know, we go out that door or this happens or I'm gonna fight those two dot guys. It's just it's just chaos. He's fucked up. They yeah. were all popping pills. They were all drinking too much and shit went wild and nobody was really expecting it and it got ugly. And how ugly did it get? As far as damage is concerned, Shawn Michaels suffered a torn eyelid, two black eyes, and his ear was ripped where his earring had been pulled out. Davy Boy Smith needed stitches on his face. Uh, he also had like a badly Damn. damaged eye. I guess he got poked in the eye. And Waltman luckily was unharmed, having just fallen on his ass in the parking lot yeah. while throwing those kicks. That shit worked, dog. And Beautiful. If, and if you Fucking ever, genius. What a worker. And if you ever want to, like, 
And if you're wondering like how fucked up a, a torn eyelid is, um, maybe I'll post the picture of when it happened That's to me. Nasty. I one time ate a kick in a uh, an in-ring fight, not some sort of bar brawl, and it ripped my eyelid like halfway all the way to the corner of the eye. And when my girlfriend at the time saw it, she looked at that and went, Jesus Christ, can you see through that hole? It's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bloody, bloody thing to happen to your face. So it probably was a very ugly situation from the get go. So everybody is been, you know, pretty badly beaten. People need stitches. People are going to look ugly for a little while. And when people have TV in the morning, (laughs) yeah, because in the WWF, um, when the news got back to him, you know, Shawn Michaels' friends and the clique were pissed because yeah. shit like this was always a hair's breadth from happening any given night they went out. But Triple H, Kevin Nash, or Scott Hall would be there to protect him when he'd pull totally. shit like that. And Nash and Hall yelled at Waltman and Smith for not taking care of Michaels as though they were Secret Service agents who failed to protect the mayor of Asshole City. It's like, it's bro, like, we got fucked up too, dog. Like, yeah. I missed a kick. I was laying there. These fools are getting laid out. What do you want my little ass to do? Get up? No, X-Pac did good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got to live to tell a story. Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's not my fucking job to protect the golden goose of TV. We were all out. And see, that's, but this is what I'm saying. See, this is what my point was from the beginning. Look how the whole, this is triple fucking H. This is the guy that has basically... The next realistic, when the, when the throne becomes vacant, he's realistically the, the strongest claim to the throne. And this is a guy structuring the whole thing around this toxic protection of the shitty behavior, man. Well, he, he became that, but this is 1995, and Nash was arguably the, the, the power behind the throne at that point. But still, like this was a group. Yeah, this was a group that nobody wanted to be on the bad side. Yeah, but I'm whole. saying this is where he got indoctrinated from Shawn Michaels and Nash and and Hall and and frequently and frankly from before them like Kurt Hennig really because they they were all his young boys and Michaels. But Michaels was the guy. Like see that that statement from Hunter. He's framing everything around protecting this asshole behavior, and it sucks because th- these are his OGs. These are the guys that taught him, and he's having to like. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had to take your parent drunk home from the bar, but it sucks. <laughs> and when the story reached Vince McMahon's ears, he Woo! was also less than thrilled to hear about this. He'd been bending over backwards to deal with Shawn Michaels' endless bullshit, both backstage and out in the world, because, again, this was his top babyface, this was his top TV star, and in order to accommodate that, he had to protect him from a lot of bullshit on the outside. And he was also mad at Smith, a heel, and Michaels, a babyface, who were out partying together while working a program. It's not like the old days. It's not like uh, you know Hacksaw Jim Dugan and uh, the Iron Sheet getting pulled over. But they still wanted it protected enough for the sake of the business that, yeah, a babyface and a heel were not supposed to be seen in the same locker room at a certain point in wrestling history, let alone at the same bar partying down. Yeah, and it just shows the layers of it, right? Because on McMahon's layer of analysis, he doesn't even want them together. And then you look at like the boys in the locker room and the and the people calling shots politically backstage, and they want them together so that they can protect Shawn Michaels from himself and his shitty behavior. And it's just a really bad situation all around because, you know, uh, regardless of what the framework is, when you enable shitty behavior, it it really can. It, it spirals out to a bad place because once you like open that door, right? Once you've done it the first time, then you can't go back, and then it gets taken further and further every time. So he's getting away with, you know, he's saying Vince McMahon's bending over backwards. No, Vince McMahon is bending over forwards. And it's not just a matter of the behavior being uh, rationalized, being uh, glossed over, and it's not a matter even of the formerly fireable sin of a baby face and a heel hanging out outside of the uh, you know the the protected set of the uh, of the arena Watts would have fired him twice oh yeah and he definitely would have fired him three for times yeah. for losing because that's another mortal sin in wrestling from the old days was losing a fight Jim Ross said about this situation that yeah back in back in the territory days he would have been told to resign or he'd be fired by the end of the week because yes this is the era of show wrestling it's not quite as you know fully 
I mean, most pe people know it was fake, but you still had to pre present yourself as a real tough guy. So yeah, losing a bar fight up to, you know, even into the 70s, maybe even the early 80s, was a fireable offense. You, ha you If you couldn't, if some guy was walking out there at the honky tonk in Oklahoma, talking about how they laid out the wrestler on TV, well, that damages the business, that damages the draw of that wrestler, that damages the ticket sales of that promotion. So yeah, you lost a fight, you had to go. This wasn't really that era even then, it's definitely not now, but it was, all the old timers backstage definitely had to uh, kind of swallow their pride even to look at Shawn Michaels when he came back. I'm going to say it right now. Bret Hart wouldn't have lost that fight. Oh, no, he would not have. And in fact, Bret Hart wouldn't have been in that fight because he wouldn't have been in that bar hitting on some dude's lady or some lady that some dude is obsessed about and, and being, you know, in some scumbag situation. And, you know... I'm actually not surprised that Davey didn't want to go to bat. He's like, no, don't beat up Shawn Michaels. That would be terrible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, you know no, if it was a little bit less severe, he would have been like, bro, this is fucking hilarious, bro. Yeah, because I mean, he, but I think people did feel a little bad <laughs> for him, just as is the, the human condition when they saw how absolutely fucked his face was. Bruce Pritchard stated, it was sad, first of all, because you sit there and once you saw Sean and you realize that this is now had almost a week or more to heal. It's had a while to heal up and you think about holy shit and how bad it must have been. I, I actually did see pictures of him in the hospital and it wasn't pretty by any stretch of the imagination. It was tough and you had to do something. I think there was a segment of the audience that felt, well, is this real or not? So you show Sean, you show the injuries to his face and make a story out of it. You're dealt a set of cards and you have to play them the best way you can at the time because ultimately, Vince McMahon didn't discipline his asshole star. Instead gave him a fatherly, I don't want to see you dead, you know, uh, you know, heart to heart approach. Shawn Michaels shrugged it off, applying the a beating I don't remember doesn't count as a loss philosophy. Again, we know people like that. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's interesting because it was like, he had that moment where it's like, he, you know, this permanently changed his face, right? And this is a vain guy. And this could have been a moment of self-realization and growth. And instead, like, it was that villain twist where it was like that thing where he got scarred and then he became all bitter and evil and he, like, doubled down on his shittiness. And I think it's very interesting to see the, you know, and again, I was no insider, but I'm a lifelong student of the game. And, and this, you know, the Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart specific stuff was my stuff that I studied firsthand and then have studied extensively every stitch that you've ever that's ever been written on it. Um, from my perspective and what I've seen from growing up in it is that changed him and it made him worse when it could have humbled him and it, it caused, maybe that was the, the trigger that made him truly get nasty. Because I, you know, I'm sure you had coaches tell you the same thing. A loss isn't really a loss so long as you learn from it. Of course. And Things like this seem to just happen, almost like they're in a moral or intellectual vacuum where shit goes down, shit gets wild, and it's like, eh, what can you do? You know, just keep walking it off like a fucking sociopath. And in addition to not learning any sort of lesson from it, later on, he decided to essentially make it even worse by doing the dumbest fucking thing you can possibly do, which is lying to the police about what happened. He put a rap album out on, snitched on himself? What did you do? So according to the police report, he was jumped by eight Marines. As opposed to the one guy beating him up while the two, the one army guy beating him up while the other two kind of, you know, held the other uh, wrestler's door shut. Oh, this is what he told the police yeah, in this, the police report. Yeah, this is what he told the cops. He was attacked by eight Marines and we had no problem with anyone in the club. You know, it's... He just pretty much went with this, poor me, I was assaulted by the entire military. The story even fluctuated as high as 10 in some tellings. So in his words, he was jumped by eight Marines. We had no problem with anyone at the club. I don't remember much that happened, but I know I suffered head injuries and lost consciousness. 
I am told by my fellow wrestlers who were in the backseat of the vehicle that seven or eight men pulled me from the car and beat me up. I did not provoke these men in any way, and they had no right to beat me up. I do desire prosecution on the matter. I give the Onondaga County Sheriff Department permission to obtain any and all medical records relating to my treatment for these injuries I sustained on October 14th, 1995. He's now put himself, you can kind of argue. Well, what a fool though. Yeah, like he should have just been honest because that is valid. Yeah, if it did, but yeah, like they did get attacked. But yeah, it didn't need, he didn't need to like, you know, do the fish story yeah, thing. He, well, he needed to do it psychologically for two reasons. One, because I'm sure in his mind, he didn't. He could not say, I got beaten up by one guy even because I was so fucked up I could barely stand. And also, that's a story that's not going to fly on television when you're the intercontinental champion. And the guy who beat him up, Griffith, he also told a bullshit story because, as I said before, there are no good people in this tale. And I quote, The wrestler Shawn Michaels came at me. We swung at each other, and I was able to take hold of his jacket, and I ran him into the side of Donna's car. This Michaels is a big guy, 250 pounds, and I was trying not to get hurt by him. I am sorry that this happened. I didn't mean for anyone to get hurt. My friends were with me, but I didn't see of them get into the fight. So both people are telling this, like, oh, poor innocent me, I was just directed to a situation where... You know, I, I didn't really anticipate anything to happen, and I don't know why I had to do the violence, but, oh no, Jesus forgive me. And, of course, you're going to tell the story your own way to look the best you can, but where Michael's really fucked up was by making the numbers so much higher. And at that time, Griffith was charged with second-degree assault, but the case would very quickly fall apart, as you can imagine. The wrestlers couldn't get their story straight while the soldiers had their, they had theirs down solid. Yeah, of course. That's the the objective witnesses, you know, told the story that kind of as I told it. So, it definitely is a situation where nothing good can come of it either way. Every both parties are the worst, but after you've made these sort of statements and you've told them both on television as part of a promo, because you have to keep in mind, he did have to drop the Intercontinental Championship because of these injuries. He told the story of the eight dudes jumping him. Uh, there were all Marines that in that version on television, commentary, WWF storyline perpetuated that. So now there's a prosecutor who would have to essentially walk those stories back to get a prosecution um, for the assault charge. Yeah, that's, I mean, he basically, by by exaggerating more than they needed to, they could have got through this thing and he could have, you know, it's just an ugly situation because at the end of the day, it's it's kind of in the standard range of a typical bar fight situation that got ugly and it just involved, it there's a certain piece it feels like there's an aspect of karma to it because it's like he probably had hundreds of people that he did something to where that level of beating or at least be angry enough to want to do that to him would feel justified and warranted so i'm sure that a lot of people felt there was a karmic element to this but it's really just it's just ugly shit man and this is why you don't mix pills with alcohol kids Oh, a hundred percent. That is that's the that's the real takeaway. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's you can be the biggest piece of shit on the face of the earth so long as your brain is sharp because you're not uh, popping downers and slugging it down with bourbon. Because yeah, you you if you go, if you're being a total uh, you know dick bag, you got to make sure your uh, your wits are about you so you can either uh, run, escape somehow, or uh, you know make a plan for attack. Because otherwise, you're just a punching bag with a lot of people wanting to punch you. Yeah, and it's you know. You don't really have a lot of people that have your back. I mean, I'm sure Davy Boy is probably in a conflicted place. I'm sure they're friendly. They probably got along better than than most. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been out with him. Oh, but. yeah. I mean, they were both party boys. Like, yeah, they, totally. They, they, but, they got along. And also... But uh, I'm sure he got put in a lot of awkward situations with who his family is and all of that with Brett, knowing all the things that played out with them and Michaels over the years. Like, well, and you also have to imagine that Davy Boy Smith was... Uh, Spent years traveling and teaming and partying with the uh, the with uh, the Dynamite Kid. The word, yeah, who, totally. Who, who is another notorious maniac in the annals of wrestling history?
history. So that's another person that, you know, if you went out with on any given night, there's going to be a good chance you're going to be running from the cops, a mob, or both. Yeah, Dynamite Kid, and he didn't get that name in the ring, ladies and gentlemen. So the prosecutor was really going hard after this, uh, after this soldier. He real because I mean it was it was you know we can kind of gloss it over because I really wish this story had a more clear cut moral angle. I wish it was a situation where you know it was a, uh, a like a fair fight or it was a guy challenging somebody for something other than his own jealousy of of his ex-girlfriend being hit on by a TV star. I wish that there was more of a, a moral bend to it as opposed to somebody who was terrible just finally getting their comeuppance at the hands of somebody who was also terrible. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's very interesting to think about different perspectives in this. Like one like I imagine I try to imagine how like Bret Hart thought about this whole thing play out because you know maybe he thought it was like karma to Shawn Michaels for being a dick and then karma to, <laughs> to Davey for hanging out with the enemy and then it, you can imagine that extra layer of like dude what the fuck you know the, the the all of these things this is just one incident in like see how could you pick this guy over me right professionally work wise like this is an example of behavior that would absolutely maybe not get you fired but definitely you'd have to go into rehab you'd have to you would have to amend the way that you conducted yourself professionally and that didn't happen here but good bad somewhere in the middle the trial was going to happen and why did things fall apart well the defense lawyer had some, uh, some, 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 some good ideas because he understood that Shawn Michaels had been telling everybody he got jumped by eight people. He put that in the police report. So witnesses were going to be able to pick that apart because keep in mind, it's kind of hard to say, oh no, it was just my one client slamming his head in the door and then kicking him in the head with steel-toed boots. That doesn't really... Yeah, that's a tough spot. That's a tough spot as a defense attorney. So what they had to do was go after the television uh, persona of Shawn Michaels because they've been telling the story that he got jumped by, by the entire gosh darn Marine uh, force. And he was also telling the prosecutor that he was going to go after his medical records and... You know, there was probably something in the blood about his drug out his blood alcohol drugs in his system at that night and this was also hot on the heels of the steroid scandal trial that nearly brought down McMahon and the WWF and the defense lawyer wanted to bring in an expert witness to discuss the mental health ramifications and uh, behavioral side effects of steroid use and by the time this would have gone to trial, it would have been mid-1996, and Shawn Michaels was scheduled to have the title, and there was no way that Michaels or Vince McMahon wanted to have the embarrassment of a trial filled with lies from his talent, the drug use going public, and to rehash, relitigate steroid use, whether it was happening or not, in something that was definitely going to be on television. So the charges were dropped. Um, McMahon, already too deep with the bullshit story, made the injuries and lies part of a storyline to portray Michaels as a never-say-die babyface who never backs down no matter what the odds. That was the brilliance of Vince McMahon. He could spin bullshit into gold for many, many decades. And it wouldn't be the last time that Shawn Michaels would get his ass kicked for running his mouth. Again, the man seemed to learn nothing. But in May 1997, one of the most spectacular moments in this pattern came to light when Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were having their, their big feud. Uh, Vince McMahon had been pushing Shawn Michaels through the roof, but for a brief period, uh, Cowboy Bill Watts had taken over as Booker. He was given supreme power over the card, and he liked Bret Hart, the hitman. He saw him as an old school style wrestler, the totally. type of guy he wanted to see as a champion, and kept pushing him. 
Shawn Michaels was jealous of that attention. He felt he deserved. He felt that Bret Hart was not a show, was not a draw, was not a star like him. He avoided dropping the belt to him, came up with excuses to avoid matches. A whole episode could be again done on just this alone. So we're gonna laser focus on this moment. Vince McMahon had taken back over, Watts had stepped aside, and these two men were building to a big Survivor Series match when one of the most infamous of promos on air occurred when they were going back and forth about you couldn't beat me in an hour how are you gonna last 10 minutes and michaels fired back with you know about the the other way that bret hart couldn't last 10 minutes even though he's been having some sunny days and the context of that is clearly it was the vanitude era so everybody was making sexual innuendos but Sonny, the wrestler, was a known backstage um, reliever of tensions to uh, anybody who wanted uh, wanted to throw her some attention, especially Shawn Michaels. It's very funny that he was making a joke about Bret Hart, who was a very dedicated family man, who you know was very much a square as far as his real life was concerned, and Shawn Michaels, who was fucking Sonny every time that Chris Candido was in the ring and couldn't uh, catch them, would make a joke on air insinuating that Bret Hart was cheating on his wife, which apparently led to a lot of home drama and accusations and mistrust. And why would you, as a human being, not want to piss off Bret Hart? Well, because Bret Hart will whoop your ass. Bret Hart, especially Shawn Michaels, you'd think he would know that that Bret Hart could take him. As a man, you'd think that he would understand that just based on the hierarchy of having all of this shared experience that when it was going down, he knew that he couldn't take Brett. Uh, he was, you know, he was again more of a square than uh, most of the guys on the roster, and he was also more of a shooter than anybody on the roster at the time. This is a man who came from the Hart family. This was a son of Stu Hart. This is a product of the infamous Hart dungeon. Yeah. This is a man who would stretch you six ways to Sunday if you gave him cause, and Shawn Michaels definitely gave him cause. So this infamous having you know, su- you know sunny day promo on air accuses him of cheating on his wife, all these things. Shawn Michaels, again, feeling untouchable, walks backstage only to be followed by Bret Hart, who takes him down and beats the shit out of him backstage in front of everyone. So everybody gets to watch Bret Hart finally fed up, take down the spoiled brat star backstage. It wasn't like some sort of brutal beating like how uh, the you know, Corporal Griffith uh, gave him. It wasn't some you know MMA style uh, you know thing. It was just a big man who knows how to take somebody down, taking down a little weasel who doesn't know how to fight back, and, th- and throwing some fucking hands on him. Uh, apparently, the only person who tried to intervene was Pat Patterson. Everybody else was just like probably sitting back, going like. <laughs> Finally, Yeah, totally. I mean, on every level, no matter which side you're on, whether you're in the, like, this is good, they need this, maybe they can resolve their differences side, maybe if you're like, fuck yeah, Brett's finally going to beat this motherfucker's ass and going to shut them the fuck up, maybe, you know, I don't, but you notice, <laughs> nobody stepped in for old HBK. Yeah, there, are, there have been many a times where I've broken up fights, but only after somebody got some shots in, totally. where I'm just like, He's an asshole. I'm gonna yeah. let him get some punches uh, before uh, before I uh, I save it, him. It's it's it's. It just shows you that everyone understood on some level that that was merited, that that ass whooping was warranted. It always makes me think of there's an episode in a later season of Mad Men where the British ad exec Lane finally has enough of young smarmy Pete and. They close the blinds and Late beats the shit out of him in the uh, in the conference room. And then later on, Pete's in the elevator, turns to the protagonist of the show, Don Draper, and says, why didn't anyone stop it? He legitimately had no idea that everybody's been wanting his ass kicked since day one. Some people are just that fucking oblivious. And again, did HBK, did Shawn Michaels learn a lesson from this? Of course not. He didn't go, should I maybe be a better person? Should I have not said that? Should I, you know, maybe maybe not be such an asshole if I can't fucking fight back worth a darn, even if you're not trying to be a better person, just a less punched person? No. 
He Sir. stormed out. He threatened to quit. He threatened to file an unsafe workplace lawsuit against WWF. Vince had to like pull all the fucking stops out to like keep this from turning into a shit show just to keep his two biggest stars at the time on television. No growth, no lesson learned. Just another ass kicking in a line of deserved ass kickings. On the, on, on, on the face of a man who never seemed to learn for a very long time that never mouth off if you can't back it up. What a bitch. You said some inflammatory shit on TV that potentially jeopardized a man's marriage and his family. And then you got the nerve to complain about an unsafe work environment. You just made his family and his home unsafe with your bullshit, whether true, untrue, you, you know, and then what, you were held to the consequences of your actions as a man because you talked some shit about a man's family and got your ass whipped for it and nobody stood up to protect you because Daddy Vince didn't stop you from getting beat up for talking about a man's wife? Fuck you. Fuck you, Shawn Michaels. That's some bitch shit. Because as we've kind of alluded to we've definitely been talking a lot of shit but i feel like yeah, these are behaviors that needed a lot of shit to be talked about because on camera on screen in the ring sean michaels deservedly was he's the a biggest star of star his, yeah the biggest star of his day but behind the scenes and in real life at the time i you know clearly he's a better person uh, yeah. today uh, yeah i'll say this too on that like I think, you know, objectively, like, if he was to hear this or somebody brought this to his attention, I think he would own it. He would say, yeah, it was a big piece of shit because from what I understand, he's, you know, he's found, you know, a, a spiritual path and he's become a much more quality human being in, in the 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 pattern of his behavior from what I understand and I and I hope all the best because he is. He's one of the greatest performers of my lifetime, man. And the sad truth is... Neither of these motherfuckers were ever better than when they were together, man. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels shit is all-time legendary. And it sucks that they could not... I mean, on some levels, the conflict played into it. But, man, it sucks that it got so personal and he had to get so shitty because, man, they had one of the all-time greatest feuds and the greatest feud of my lifetime. And that aside, we kind of conclude our lesson that... Everybody has that friend who would mouth off and get their ass whooped if you weren't there to protect them. And eventually, somebody was going to tap them on the shoulder when no one was there to save the day. And I hope that's a lesson that some people will learn, some people will never learn, and some people will exhaustingly have to put up with that all their gosh darn lives. And I want to thank everybody for listening to us ramble insanely about a man who just had the most punchable face in the world. A tale of violence, a tale of drugs, a tale of shitty behavior. And we find that in wrestling going back to the dawn of time when Olympic wrestlers were paying witches to put hexes on their uh, on their opponents while they themselves are drinking magic potions that probably just made them shit their pants. Athletes are a different breed. Combat athletes are a different breed. And that rock and roll lifestyle will catch up with anyone who dips their toe into it. So please, as always, kind of begging, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, interact, uh, check out the photos we put up on our Instagram, and we'll be back in two weeks with another tale of pro wrestling madness, going a bit further back, back to our, our kind of heyday of old black and white times and uh, other, other such madness. But for now, good night for Chongo Bronson. I'm Nick Gossert. We'll talk at you later. Good night, nerds. Cut Prince Martini.